0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. If you have a Bible handy, please open it up to the book of St. James, the fifth chapter. As I told everybody on stream tonight, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. If there is a difficulty in understanding a part of the Bible, one of two things is happening. Either we are not reading the cross references enough, we are not looking and searching through the scriptures to see the meanings that God gives us in the text, we're not allowing God to teach us how to read his word, or it is something that is a genuine mystery. The descriptions of angels the secrets of eschatology, some of the things we are not 100% clear on, how election works at the end of the day, there are legitimate mysteries that the mature Christian throws up his hands and teaches his mouth to say, I don't know. But sometimes, as we see with St. James's epistle, God will simply give you the meaning of an entire book of scripture for the sake of your understanding. So hear the word of our Lord from James chapter 5, beginning in the seventh verse. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Here, in the 11th verse, St. James identifies Job among the prophets. I would argue that right after having mentioned steadfast and long-suffering prophets, he immediately brings up Job. So we know that a large theme in the book of Job is steadfastness in the faith. Job, again, a prophet, serves as an example of steadfastness under trial. And St. James gives us the meaning of the entire book. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. While we read the book of Job, We want to be looking at Job's steadfastness, and we want to be looking for how God shows his compassion and mercy. When St. James says uh, that the fruit of the earth, the farmer must wait for it until it receives the early and the late rains, we want to be keeping our eyes peeled for when God begins to show this in Job's life. Thankfully, tonight, as we turn to Job chapter 23, and we read that in the next chapter, we are going to notice some of this fruit being born in his speech. Now, for context, as we turn to Job chapter 23, in the previous chapter, Eliphaz, his friend, explodes. He finally comes out and just alleges that Job is wicked. He starts pointing out Job's former sins, sins of omission that Job may very well have been guilty of. As a cattle rancher, as a manager of thousands of sheep, buying and selling various livestock, it was bound to happen that people fell through the cracks. And while Eliphaz explodes in anger, his compassion fatigue finally beginning to uh, boil over. He calms down and says to Job, You have the opportunity to repent. God can restore you. I know that you're not like those wicked men that die. That just die and go to hell. God is trying to show and teach something to you. And now, with Job chapter 23, we get to hear a response that is jarring at first. Let us hear the word from Job chapters 23 and 24. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There is There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward. But he is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does, for he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore I am terrified at his presence. When I consider I am in dread of him, God has made my heart faint, the Almighty has terrified me, yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. Why are not times of judgment kept by the Almighty? And why do those who know him never see his days? Some move landmarks, they seize flocks and pasture them, they drive away the donkey of the fatherless, they take the widow's ox for a pledge, they thrust the poor off the road, the poor of the earth all hide themselves. Behold, like wild donkeys in the desert, the poor go out to their toil, seeking game." The wasteland yields food for their children. They gather their fodder in the field and they glean the vineyard of the wicked man. They lie all night naked without clothing and have no covering in the cold. They are wet with the rain of the mountains and cling to the rock for lack of shelter. There are those who snatch the fatherless child away from the breast and they take a pledge against the poor. They go about naked without clothing. Hungry, they carry the sheaves among the olive rows of the wicked, they make oil. They tread the wine presses, but suffer thirst. From out of the city, the dying groan and the soul of the wounded cries for help, yet God charges no one with wrong. There are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways and do not stay in its paths. The murderer rises before it is light. That he may kill the poor and needy. And in the night he is like a thief. The eye of the adulterer also waits for the twilight, saying, No eye will see me. And he veils his face. In the dark they dig through houses. By day they shut themselves up. They do not know the light, for deep darkness is morning to all of them. For they are friends with the terrors of deep darkness. You say, Swift are they on the face of the waters. They're Portion is cursed in the land. No treader turns toward their vineyards. Drought and heat snatch away the snow waters. So does Sheol, those who have sinned. The womb forgets them. The worm finds them sweet. They are no longer remembered. So wickedness is broken like a tree. They wrong the barren, childless woman, and do no good to the widow. Yet God prolongs the life of the mighty by his power. They rise up when they despair of life. He gives them security and they are supported and his eyes are upon their ways. They are exalted a little while and then are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others. They are cut off like the heads of grain. If it is not so, who will prove me a liar and show that there is nothing in what I say? This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. For three chapters... There was a discussion. Well, two chapters, and then Eliphaz erupts in his anger at what he's hearing. But chapters 20 and 21, they constitute a discussion of justice. In Job, at first, in his reply regarding the justice of God and how he's just not seeing justice, may I remind you, that Job speaks of the wicked. Just the wicked. He says in verse 7 of chapter 21, Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence, and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. Job, responding to his friend, Zophar the Naamathite, he wants to... Talk about the wicked themselves. And before that, he talked about himself. But the moment Eliphaz brings up how Job may have accidentally or on purpose harmed the poor, something shifts in Job's complexion. If we read verse 6 from chapter 22, Eliphaz says, You have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and the favored man lived in it. Look at you, Job. You had cattle to sell. You had to make money, right? And I'm sure there were poor people that needed your help. And did you take their stuff in pledge, Job? Did you refuse to give them something when they couldn't pay, Job? Do you realize that any refusal you had, that you performed on these poor people, to refuse to give them anything constitutes sin before God's eyes, Job? Job. And Job, up until this point, whenever his friends would attack him, he would say sarcastic remarks. He would point his finger at them and say, you're wounding me, you're hurting me, this is not helping, this is not productive. Or he would tell them, oh sure, you guys are the wisest ever, aren't you? And when you die, wisdom dies with you, doesn't it? Job, until this point has retorted to his friends, or tried to directly attack what they were saying. Or, he talked about his own problems. He lost everything. The man has a right to complain. Or, when he speaks about the wicked, he speaks about the wicked themselves. But when Eliphaz brings up those others who are suffering, something changes his demeanor. Instead of attacking his friends, he starts by saying, Look, my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Listen, guys. I'm in pain. Oh, verse 3, that I knew where I might find him. And I might come even to his seat. I just want to talk to God, Eliphaz. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I have sinned. I'm not going to say that I did. We can get to that. But I want to make that case to God. I would lay my case before him, verse 4, and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. Listen, Eliphaz, I'm going to bring my case to God. You can accuse me day and night of all these things, but I just want to bring this to God. I want an answer from him. Previously, when he's made statements like this, we've brought this up as an example of steadfastness. Many a man that suffers decides to abandon God. Oh, they will simply leave in some sort of feigned moral disgust. Some immaturity on their part causes them to go... Oh, times are hard. I don't know where God is or why he's doing this in my life. Well, time to go become a Buddhist or an atheist or something. And Job does not do this. He grabs hold of the hem of God's robe and says, I am not letting go until I get answers. You're the God that I worship. You are the God that I put my trust in. I'm not letting go of you. Now, he does believe, somewhat erroneously, that God is just going to sit there and let Job dress him down. Job is uh, unaware, perhaps, or unwilling to acknowledge the fact that God is actively listening to this entire conversation. I believe that Job wrote this book. He re- recounted all the events of his life. This is his final will and testament writing down what happened to him. Later on, the Holy Spirit will direct his pen, and God will show that he was listening the entire time. Job has made his case several times over. So in verse 6, when he says, Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? All of us that have read God's speech at the end of this book, we know that the answer is yes. God demonstrates his power and speaks of it in detail to Job. Not for the reasons we may suspect, if this isn't God just intimidating him, but Job, unaware of this, says, No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man, referring to himself, could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, verse 8, but he is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. Joe complains that he cannot see God. He wants to bring his case to God. He does not know where God is. Unlike the various Chinese mythologies or the Greek mythologies out there where you could go up to Mount Olympus if you were lucky or smart or a wise and cunning individual, you could go visit the gods and see them eating their apples of immortality as they Uh, refuse to listen to you. Job says, where are you? I want to talk to you. We need to discuss this. Where are you? But I know that you know, verse 10, he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Here is where I believe St. James calls Job a prophet. When was the law given to men? About 1446 BC is the first time in Mount Sinai in which God's voice pronounced the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. Job, writing at about 2100 BC, a contemporary of Abraham, is not so lucky. He does not have God's written word, but he knows about God's commandments the same way Father Abraham knew of God's commandments, and knew of his paths, knew of his steps. Job has had an active relationship with God this entire time, such that he can say God, I have kept your commandments. You know me. You can try me and search me. I'm just not convinced that I did anything worthy of the punishment that I'm receiving. But, verse 13, Job does understand you cannot change the verdict from God. He is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. He will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Surely, whatever God is doing, this must be for my good. He's going to complete something he's appointed of me. I don't know what it is. Beloved, everybody listening, are you noticing that change? Job started just a few chapters back saying, God counts me as an enemy. He destroys me for no reason. I have no idea what's going on. This doesn't make any sense. Why does God sharpen his sword, poison his arrows, and fire at me? But here, something has changed in Job's heart. He says he will complete what he appoints for me. With the confidence, he says that I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. In verse 7, an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Job is confident in faith now that God, our Lord, is going to acquit him and show some sort of blessing. Where did this come from? What changed Job's attitude? I would wager, just as St. James talks about How the waters bring forth the fruit and the plants. The farmer waits for it. Job's steadfastness is being rewarded here with sanctification. He is going through the theology of the cross. He is enduring tentatio. He is suffering and God sees his steadfastness in the faith and says, Now, the Holy Spirit says, now, let's make you a better and even more solid man in the faith. Now Job admits in verse 15, I am terrified at his presence when I consider I am in dread of him. He knows that his interaction with God is going to be terrifying, but he still holds on to the faith that God is doing this for some reason. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to hold on for dear life, and I'm going to speak to God. Another change, though, in verse In chapter 24. He says, why are not times of judgment kept by the Almighty? Why doesn't he do this on a schedule? Why can't we see on this day, on this week, on this month, the wicked and the evil of our planet are going to be judged? Why do those who know him never see his days? Here he's making his case before God. He's bringing the discussion of God's justice straight to God here with these questions. Some move landmarks. They seize flocks and pasture them. You have horse thieves. You have land thieves and con men. They drive away the donkey of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. They're taking the last things that people have. People are suffering. They thrust the poor off the road, the poor of the earth. Eliphaz, you said that I may have taken advantage of the poor, whether by accident or on purpose. But let me tell you how real wicked people are doing this because I've seen it. And and this is horrible. Like wild donkeys in the desert, the the poor go out to their toil seeking game. The wasteland yields food for their children. They gather their fodder in the field. They glean the vineyard of the wicked man. They lie all night naked without clothing. They have no covering in the cold. Beloved, are you noticing a second change? Up until this point, speaking of the wicked, he simply spoke of the wicked. He spoke of the evil men that got away with everything, and why aren't they being punished? But something has now changed in Job's demeanor to where he's focusing on the poor. He's thinking about the suffering. He's thinking about those who are victims here, and speaking with such compassion to them, with an intimate familiarity in their suffering. Something is changing in Job's heart. He's starting to take an external focus beyond himself. So much of his speeches in this book have been about his own pain and how he's being treated. But now he's thinking about and speaking about those who are suffering at the hands of evil men. There are those who snatch the fatherless child from the breast, and they take a pledge against the poor. They go about naked without clothing, hungry they carry the sheaves, Among the olive rows of the wicked, they make oil, they tread the wine presses, but suffer thirst. This isn't fair. God, where are you? It's not just about me anymore. It's about everybody all over the planet. From out of the city, the dying groan and the soul of the wounded cries for help. Yet God charges no one with wrong. Wait a second. Now Job is starting to think about others. He's taking what I like to call the external focus. If you are suffering from depression, if you are horribly depressed, you feel defeated in life, one of the greatest things you can do is remember the old acronym. I'm sure we've heard corny pastors saying it. Very corny men, cheesy guys say, oh, it's about joy. Jesus, others, than yourself. You put Jesus first, then you put others second, you focus on them, and then you take care of your own needs. You have your own needs, sure, those do need to be taken care of, but if you focus on Jesus first, you focus on others, you're not going to have time to be sad. (laughs) You're going to have so much good that you're doing, so much devotion that you're going to be praying, you're not going to have the opportunity to notice how much God is healing your sorrows. You won't be thinking about it. Job is starting to do this. As corny and as cheesy and as silly as the acronym JOY sounds to our ears, it is a 100% spot on. It is in this moment, chapter 23 and 24, that God begins to heal Job the prophet. He begins to sanctify him, to make him a better man, to give him a solid faith that doesn't say, God, why are you attacking me? It says, God, I want to hear from you. It doesn't say, woe is me in my pain and my suffering and everything I have been through. Oh, yes, that's a part of my life. But what about these other people? Somebody's got to help them. Where where is the justice for them? I mean, they're spending all day squeezing out blood from grapes, but they, they can't even drink something. Look at how dehydrated they are. This is horrible. God is orienting Job's very soul to have that external focus, giving him the attitude that heals a believer as they stay steadfast in the Lord. He does... Continue on in verse 13. There are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways, and do not stay in its path. The murderer rises before it is light that he may kill the poor and the needy. Now he's talking about human crimes, about others besides merely economic, besides poverty. He's talking about killing people. The eye of the adulterer also waits for the twilight, saying, No eye will see me. Home wreckers. In the dark they dig through houses, by day they shut themselves up, they do not know the light, for deep darkness is mourning to all of them. The oppressor, the murderer, the adulterer, all of them, they are friends with the terrors of deep darkness. You say, verse 18, swift are they on the face of the waters, their portion is cursed in the land. All of Job's friends have said, listen, the wicked are going to be punished. But Job rejoinders that. He adds context to it. In verse 21, they wrong the barren, childless woman and do no good to the widow. You see why I'm upset now. My casus belli is changed. God prolongs the life of the mighty by his power. They rise up when they despair of life. Even if these people feel like it's gotten old, they're still doing their thing. He gives them security and they are supported and his eyes are upon their ways. They are exalted a little while and and then are gone. You guys are right. They are gone. But what's going on? Why are they allowed to do this? Job's perspective has shifted now. Where he focuses on God and he's focusing on others instead of just talking about himself, or just reaching out in what sounds almost like envy regarding the wicked. We do well to learn from this because this is the sort of peaceful fruit of righteousness that the author of Hebrews will speak of in Hebrews chapter 12. Job has been chastised without it being on account of his sin. He has been chastised for the sake of his sanctification, making him an even holier man before God. And we're starting to see that change. There's one more response to his words in the next chapter. He has another friend that's going to speak, and then Job is going to give a big, long-ending speech. We will probably try to cover that all in one night, so that we can spend some time... uh, trying to withhold my contempt for Elihu, but we'll get there. Until then, the Lord bless us and keep us in a steadfastness that matches Job's. Amen and amen.